How is everybody today? Good. 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 Welcome to the garden. If you are a uh, guest with us, you probably found a card somewhere. You can fill that out and uh, drop it in the box on your way out. Um, but it's good to be here uh, today. Um, it kind of just occurred to me this week, I was chatting with some, some folks that I knew just about, uh, we were just chatting about the church, and it occurred to me um, just how beautiful this thing is, this, uh, this gathering, this ecclesia, this uh, time that we, on a regular basis, just have this discipline of coming together and gathering and worshiping and encouraging each other. And uh, so anyway, I, I love being with you guys. It's, it's good to be here. It really is. Um, so let's, let's go ahead and begin with some prayer. Let's open it with that. And uh, we're going to dive into John chapter 12. Lord, uh, I do ask that uh, this morning as, as I speak from the scriptures that, uh, that what uh, is communicated is not my wisdom, my thoughts, or my ideas, but that your word uh, speaks powerfully in our hearts and in our lives. Open us up to what you have for us this morning as we look into these ancient words. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so don't answer this question, but just think about it. Answer it in your mind. Why, why do you come to church, quote-unquote? Why do you come to this thing? Um, why do you follow Jesus at all? Why are you a Christian? Why do you do the Jesus thing? Um, why do you give? For those of you that give of your money, why do you give? We're looking this week and next at two different individuals. Um, sort of in, in the same vein as the last couple weeks of the Profiles of the Unlikely, uh, the series that we did, we're still kind of profiling some people. Uh, however, it's a little different as one of them was unlikely and one of them was likely. So one, one of them uh, w was somebody who um, would have been voted most likely to succeed. This is a person who was literally handpicked by Jesus to follow him, to be one of his disciples. Uh, this is a person who, um, in the eyes of uh, the, the, the world at the time, probably did just about everything right, as far as we can tell. Seemed like a pretty good person. Was a follower of Jesus. The other person was also a follower of Jesus, but was very unlikely. On one hand, she was a woman, uh, which we've already set that as a... Uh, we, we know that that in the ancient world would already make her unlikely. She was a woman. She was uh, uh, possibly, a lot of people believe she was a prostitute. Uh, she was filled with, at one time with seven demons, uh, which were destructive and destroying her spirit, her body, everything. She was a sinner, all right? Unlikely to be used in the eyes of the world by God. Uh, unlikely to be really a, a follower of Jesus. Um, yet she was the one who we look at today and honor today and, and praise today, he, on the other hand, the, the likely one, was proven to be false. And so what we're going to do is we're going to zoom in on these two, two individuals and what we're going to see as the... Um, uh, the what, uh, one of the most specific 
uh, pieces of the way that they lived their lives that defined how they uh, thought of Jesus and how they lived out their, their Jesus kind of life was seen in their generosity, in her generosity, and in his lack of generosity. And so that's what we're diving into, these issues of greed, um, and even these, uh, these questions, why do we do what we do? Why do we come to church? Because we want to get something out of it for ourselves, all right? So we're diving into that, ready? John chapter 12, and um, I don't have the page number for the blue Bibles. Is it, if, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Um, we can get you a Bible. Anybody else need a Bible? Um, John chapter 12, it's in the New Testament towards, towards the end of the Bible. And uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. If you're new to the Bible, 12 is the big number, that's the chapter. And verses 1 through 5 are the smaller numbers. And we're going to read together those first five verses. Verse 1, six days before the Passover... Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here's, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was re, uh, among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth about a year's wages. Now here's this Mary who is possibly a prostitute. We know that she at least at one time had had demons controlling her. Uh, a destructive kind of lifestyle. A very sinful, quote unquote, very sinful woman. And she comes to Jesus with this expensive perfume. Um, maybe she had had it for years. Maybe this is something that she had saved up for. Uh, maybe it's something that was left over from her, her uh, more scandalous <coughs> life that she had left. And it says it was worth, in the, in the original Greek it says it was worth 300 denarii. Now, one day's wages in the ancient world was worth one denarius. So 300 denarii would be how many days' wages? 300. If, if we can sort of put that into our context, if one day's wages he here today is on a conservative estimate, let's say $100, just to make the math easy, because I'm not a mathematician. I can't even say the word. And... 300, 300 days at $100 would be what? $30,000, right? So on a conservative estimate, she pulls out this bottle of perfume, the contents of which are worth 30 grand. And she opens it up and the fragrance goes throughout the entire room, fills the entire room, and then she dumps $30,000 on Jesus' feet. Now, we would look at her and say, what are you doing? I mean, we know that Jesus is like all about the poor, right? He's come for the poor. He's the good news for the poor. We see him like working with those who are broken and hurting. And we're thinking, what are you doing? Like if we're honest with ourselves, 
we would probably, ever, almost every one of, us, one of us would have the same reaction that Judas has. We would stop her, we would get down on her, and we would say, You're, you don't understand who Jesus is because Jesus is all about the poor. And you just wasted 30 grand on his feet. Do you know how many mouths that could have fed? $30,000 worth of food that could have gone to those that are hungry. This is five wells that we could have drilled in developing countries, right? This is seed money for an orphanage or for a transitional house. This is, this is a, a year's worth of support for a, for a uh, low-income uh, disabled widow. Are you kidding me? You don't know who Jesus is because you just wasted that money on him. Now that's Judas's response. And I think, let's just stop right there before we read on to the next verse. Let's just stop right there and let's just let that sit with us and agree that we might have had the same response. It would have confused us, I think. Because we live in a world where, where we, we, we truly believe I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get to it yet. I'm going to get back to that. Hold that thought right there. All right? That's the suspense factor right there. Um, all right. Look at verse 6. Um, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put, put into it. He was a thief. Now, he was living off the donations of, of others. Th this is a, a band of people, the disciples in Jesus, were literally just living their lives off of the donations of other people. They didn't work jobs. Their job was to follow Jesus, and Jesus' job was to be the Savior of the world, right? And they, they, didn't, they didn't work jobs. They literally just uh, lived off of the financial help of people that were following them, and we're going to see more of that next week. Um, However, Judas, who has been entrusted with the money bag, so when they get a donation, which is to go to, uh, to feed them and to help them, and then also to take the money and use it for the poor, Judas is entrusted with the money bag, and what they didn't know at the time, but they found out later, was that he was dipping into the money bag for his own benefit, pocketing um, some of the money. Now, that's not to say that Judas didn't want to use some of the $30,000 for the poor, right? I doubt he wanted to pocket the entire thing. But what he saw when $30,000 was being poured over Jesus' feet, wasted, let's say it, wasted over Jesus' feet, he saw $30,000 which could have been in the bag, which would have, some, of course, some would have been used for the poor, and a lot of it would have been security for himself. He was a thief. Judas, at the core, had greed as, as his God. Now, the enemy of generosity, the enemy of generosity is greed. Right? They stand opposed. The biggest enemy of generosity is greed. We can't be generous if we're greedy. If we want more and more and more. Now, not, not everyone who cries out against the way money is being spent in the church or in the city 
or in, in the country, not everyone who cries out against the way money is being spent is sincerely following Jesus. Let's just make that clear. Judas is crying out against what's, what's happening here. He's putting forth a pretty good argument, and his heart is very dark. He's a wolf, and he's wearing very nice sheep's clothing, right? And he's fooling people. Probably a lot of people were sitting there just as confused as Judas was. But the point is this. Judas was following Jesus for his own gain. If Judas was sitting here this morning and somebody said, why are you uh, gathering here this morning? I think uh, he would have come up with a pretty slick answer. But really, if, if he was honest, he would say, for my own gain. Because I think I can get something out of Jesus. And I think if I do my time, and I think if I follow Jesus, then I, then I think that Jesus will owe me something, that I should be owed something. And Jesus, Judas then is consumed with wanting more and more. It's all about him. It's greed. And the enemy of generosity is greed. What will I get out of this, quote unquote? What will I get out of this is the darkest and scariest question that has ever entered into the Christian church. What will I get out of this? If I come and if I gather and if I serve, if I get in the ministry or if I mentor a child or if I uh, do whatever, what will I get out of this? What's my kickback here? What's my reward? And then the way we go about this is what we call church shopping, right? Now, there is nothing wrong with uh, carefully deciding what church you need to be part of, all right? Nothing wrong with like asking good questions um, and finding a church that is rooted in the scriptures, in the gospel. Um, however, I think what we, when we say church shopping today, well, let me just ask you, what do we typically mean by that? All right, looking for a church home, but what are we looking for? Let me ask it that way. Yeah, what are we looking for? Depends on who you are. Depends on who you are. All right. So like if you're um, like a young 20-something, you might be looking for a bunch of young 20-somethings, right? Um, In general, you're looking for a connection that benefits you. This is Doug, by the way. Everybody say hi, Doug. <laughs> Doug's a good friend of mine. Um, great, that's good. I told Doug to say that. <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think Doug is spot on, though, just looking for something that benefits who you are. Amanda? Good music, yeah, definitely. Good music. All right, something that supports the beliefs you already have. And that could be a good thing, could not be a good thing, depending on your beliefs and depending on why you want to support your beliefs, right? A place that makes you feel good. A place that makes you feel good, yeah. Like, I just went to this church and I felt so good afterward. I think I want to go back, yeah. Because following Jesus always just made you feel so warm and fuzzy, didn't it? People you connect with or are similar to? All right, similarities. You might find some friends there. 
Yeah. Now, listen, all of these things, none of these things are bad. None of these things are sinful. Um, but here is the, this is where the consumer mindset slowly kind of slips into the way we think of church. We call it church shopping. And we start looking around for, uh, at, at different churches in the same way that we would anything else. If we were shopping for anything else, what do I like? Um, what do I want to benefit from being part of this? What am I going to get out of this? Uh, what am I going to get out of the friendships that I have, that, the relationships there? What am I going to get out of the actual service time, how the music is? Do I like the preacher? Um, all those kind of questions. And again, if Jesus was the preacher, we probably wouldn't like him half the time, right? But we ask these questions. Do I like the preacher? Was the music good? Um, did I connect? What, did it make me feel good? Did it, does it benefit me? Just like we would shop for anything else, Right? And then um, what happens uh, is we, we start looking for um, the best deal we can get for the least amount of commitment, the least investment. Another way to say this is what's the best, best deal for my money? How much does it cost? How much do you expect of me? What's the commitment? And how much do I get out of it? And so what we want is the best deal for the least amount of money, for the least commitment. And then you've got church leaders who play into this and completely go along with it and say, come in, and as, as soon as you walk in our door, this is their advertisement, as soon as you walk in our door, you're going to find something for every member of your family. You walk in our door, you're going to be greeted by the most friendly faces, and you're, we're gonna, we've got a program for your First grader, we've got a program for your eighth grader, we've got a program for your tenth grader, and, we, and we're going to give you something that you can use tomorrow when you go to work. You know, it's like this, man, that is awesome. I'm buying that thing. I'm going there, I'm purchasing this. That's, that's what I want. This, is, this sounds like a good, a good thing for me. And so then we go, and pastors become nothing less than, or nothing more than uh, dispensers of spiritual goods, and the congregation becomes nothing more than um, consumers slash product. On one hand, you are the consumer of the goods, but then you are also the product of the goods. You're the formula to keep selling more. All right? Now, this is not... When you look at the Christian history of the church and you look at the early church, where we've come from, this is not, what I just described is not like the Christian biblical church. It's that, this is what happens when the spirit and the mind and the heart of Judas enters the church and is dominant in the church. It's the mind and the heart of the consumer of what can I get out of it? We need a return for our investment. We need a kickback. We need a reward. What am I going to get out of following Jesus? And when we start to answer that question, it's the spirit of Judas. It's the, it's, it's, and it, it's borderline greed, I believe. And then we write books about how every day can be a Friday. Um, we... Uh, turn the Bible into diets, and uh, you know you can. This is this is from the Boston News 
uh, people turn to the Bible for spiritual guidance and strength, but now some are turning to it for, uh, to lose weight. Oh, we don't need spiritual, like, I thought, the, I thought the Bible was about how we can have a relationship with God, but oh, it's how I can lose a few pounds. I see now, you know? And you've got people who could care less about the gospel. They could care less about the way of Jesus, but they're following the Jesus diet and they've lost 10 pounds in the last week, right? I think there is a Jesus diet. I, I was Googling various Bible diets. Have, honest, anybody done a Bible diet? Let's be honest. Dustin, you have? What was it called? The, it was the Jesus diet. The Jesus diet, see? Because <laughs> that's all Jesus ate. <laughs> that's awesome. Wow. Like, curves the Jesus way. The Jesus way. Yeah. yeah. Jesus curves. <laughs> Verse 7. Uh, I, w- I want you to see Jesus' response here to, um, to Judas. Jesus says this. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Hint, hint. Verse 8. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, as this consumeristic mindset invades the church, and we forget that our, uh, our primary purpose, our only purpose, our only reason for existence is to bring glory to God, is to bring glory to Jesus, The only reason we exist, individually and as a church, is to bring glory to Jesus. It's not about us. And here's Judas saying, what can can I get out of this? Um, I I should have some kind of kickback here. I I should get some kind of reward out of this. Jesus responds by saying, hold up. Hold up. This was intended for my burial, which, of course, probably nobody in the room gets the room here. We get it because we are post-burial, right? This was intended for my burial. And he's essentially saying this, look at me. Look at me. You're not going to have me for very long. Then he says, the poor are always going to be with you. Now, you will hear people say, this is proof that we don't really have to care for the poor. Because the poor will always be with us, right? The poor will always be with us. And so therefore, what's the point in caring for the poor? Not that it's not a nice thing to do, but Jesus doesn't really want us to do it. He said himself, hey, don't worry about it. Taken care of. Actually, it's not taken care of. The poor are just always going to be with you. Um, Sort of like the the boy who uh, his his mom told him to clean clean his room. And he said, mom, um, have you ever heard of atrophy? They're teaching me about this in school. It's the, the idea that everything goes from order to disorder. And so I can clean my room, but it's just going to go back to disorder. It's just going to become messy again. So why should I clean? That, that would be stupid. You know, so I'm just not going to clean my room. Because if I do, like tomorrow, right? I mean, this is why I don't clean uh, the chair in our, in our bedroom with all my clothes on it. And this is why I don't clean my desk. Because if I do... It's just going to get messy again, right? 
Um, so we just let it go. Now, uh, same, same mentality I think that a lot of people will have here. The poor will always be with you, Jesus says. And so that means, then don't do anything with it. Don't, don't, don't worry about the poor. Just, just let it, let, you know, if, if you help somebody out, well, there's just going to be another person. Now, first of all, I hope everybody in the room knows that that's not what Jesus was talking about. All right, let's just make that clear. It's not what Jesus was getting at. Jesus was l- looking at Judas and essentially, I believe, is saying this. Judas, look at me. Look at me in my eyes. Look at my body. Look at me. What you have right now, this sense of having me, is quickly fading. You will not always have me in the way that you have me right now. Now the poor, you, you will always have the poor. There will always be poor. Um, in our church, there's always going to be people with needs. In our community, in our world, there will always be people with needs. And the Bible is, is extremely, um, uh, gives extensive talk to that and, and, and how to care for the poor within your own community, within the church, and, and within, within the community. But Jesus is looking at Judas and he's saying, look at me, you will not always have me in the way that you currently do. Now, um, we, can, we can look at Jesus' ministry and we can see that Jesus was all about a generosity that uh, um, relieved and developed those who are broken, hurting, poor, outcast. We can read the New Testament and we can see how in the epistles there are specific directions about what to do with those who are not eating in your own community and how to go about making sure that everybody, everybody's needs are met. But what we're seeing here and what Jesus is laying down is that really all of that stuff is not the point. The point here is that your generosity is to first and foremost make much of Jesus. Your generosity is to first and foremost bless Jesus. Um... A couple things, three things I want to just make note of really quick here before we move on from that. Number one, as, as we um, work in, in, within our church to make sure all needs are met, and we work in the community to, to relieve and to develop the poor, the hurting, the broken, etc. Three things. One, the gospel must be the center. Two, the gospel is best seen in the ecclesia, the gathering, the church, us. And the central, or the church then must be central to, to this work. Um, the gospel must be the center. Let me talk about that just for a quick second. Raising up and developing anybody um, with, with, with their development being the end goal in and of itself. If that is our goal, um, then we are the most pitied of all people. 
to care for the body, but not the soul. Um, I want you guys to just, in your mind, think of the, the wealthiest community that you can imagine. Don't call it out. Even in the, even in the city of Baltimore, what's the, the, the wealthiest community? And ask yourself, in this community, do we see shalom? Do we see the gospel? Do we see this connection with the creator? And more often than not, our answer, I think, or probably always, would be no. Which would tell us that money and development in and of itself, as a goal, is not the answer, is not the point. And so to seek the development of anyone, even if it's your own children, and to miss gospel transformational impact is caring for the body, but it's not caring for the soul. The early church, what they were known for was taking care of one another, making sure that no need, nobody went with needs within the early church. And because of that, the poor were flocking to the early church and falling in love with this Jesus who cared for them, cared for the broken, cared for the hurting, and, and finding development and relief, but finding the gospel at the center. And then as the early church went on, we, we, uh, I've uh, mentioned this before, there was an emperor that said they, that in describing the Christians, he says, they don't, they don't just care for their own poor, but they care for ours as well. And, and at the core of this whole thing is the gospel. It's the transformational work of Jesus. You can't read through the scriptures and come away thinking that the, the major number one purpose is just to do ministry for the sake of ministry. Um, so the gospel must be the center, which then takes us to the, that second point. The gospel is best seen in the ecclesia, which is the gathering, the church, ecclesia, the church. In John 17, a couple chapters after the one that we're in, in John chapter 17, Jesus prays for the early church, and he doesn't pray this. He doesn't pray, God, I pray for all the believers that, um, that, that the world will know that I am truly sent by you when they scatter and they do their own individual things and they love their neighbor. All right? Jesus prayed, God, I pray that the world will know that you sent me in the way that they demonstrate unity, ecclesia, togetherness. There was an atheist friend of mine some time ago that came, visited the garden, and after her experience here on a Sunday morning, um, said to me, I have never seen anything like that before. The way that people come together, the way that people interact, the way that people not only loved each other, but they loved me, like instantly. I've never seen anything like that before. There was a, a church that I know of in D.C. I, I met this guy who, who visited the church. And he walked in with, when he first walked in, he had um, paper clips in his face. Like, that was kind of his thing, I guess, you know? I've never been into paper clips on my face. 
Um, paper clips? No, not paper clips. Safety pins. I'm sorry. Yeah, paper clips. Could you imagine? <laughs> no, safety pins in his face. Makes a little more sense, right? Oh, of course, safety pins. Right. I, had, I was thinking paper clips. Uh, he had safety, safety pins in his face, right? And he was wearing a kilt. And uh, went to this church. And a couple old ladies just befriended him that morning. And after the church, they were chatting with them, and they said, why don't you come over for our house for, uh, to our house for lunch? So he did. They invited him into their home. They had lunch with him, and they shared the gospel with him. Uh, and now he's a pastor, all right? And, he, and, he, and he, uh, he says, I want old ladies in my church who will do this kind of stuff, you know? The, uh, Jesus commissioned us to be the church Jesus initiated the church. And the church, us, the ecclesia, is the number one evangelism tool that there is. Like we could talk about evangelism. How do we show the love of God? How do we explain the gospel to people? The number one way to do that is the church itself. In the way that we gather, in the way that we uh, we love one another in the way that we love the world around us as they see us gathering, as they enter into our space, as we go into their space. We, the church is the proclamation of the gospel. And so the gospel then must be center in all of our work. And the gospel is best seen, not only seen, but I believe the gospel is best seen in the ecclesia the gathering of the church. Therefore, the church must be central uh, to all of, all of the work that we do. All right, now, the story goes on with Judas. He's, he's angry at this point. In Matthew's account, Judas immediately after this, he immediately leaves there, and he, in his anger... The, the greed that has been developing in his life over time, the greed has birthed a monster. And he, I believe in this moment, it hits him that he is not going to get out of Jesus what he thought he was going, going to get. As a matter of fact, he sees the world closing down around Jesus. Maybe he did pick up on Jesus' statement uh, that this is intended for my burial. Maybe he's sensing that Jesus is sensing something here. He sees how the world's coming down around, around Jesus, therefore around him. He realizes he's not going to get out of Jesus what he thought he was going to get. And he turns to the high priest and he says, What will you give me if I turn him in? If I hand him over to you, what will you give me? And they give him 30 pieces of silver and for, that to, uh, for him that's enough. That's about 30 denarii. 30 days labor. And that's enough for him. Greed ends. Greed creates uh, thieves. If we are a greedy person, we will begin to steal things that are not ours. I mean, even if it's not something as blatant as taking money, it might be something as subtle and as dark as, as, as uh, ego, as stealing an idea, stealing a thought to boost yourself. To make your ego a little stronger. Greed always steals. 
And ultimately, greed steals your heart. And for Judas, I mean, I would imagine that there were moments in, in following Jesus when, when he really felt love for Jesus. Like he really had feelings for Jesus. He really, um, really enjoyed being with Jesus. But at the core, uh, greed stole his heart. There, there is this um, offensive nature to the love of God. If, if you think of it in terms of a boomerang, you, you throw it out. What does a boomerang do? comes back, right? Um, Judas loved one aspect of it. I, I, I'm sure that Judas loved being part of this, this group of people who are popular and who are exciting and they're healing people and they're, the poor are being helped and the, the sick are being raised up. Judas loved that. Was it because he loved Jesus or was it because he loved his ego? I think we're starting to see why he loved that aspect of it. I think Judas probably wanted to give money to the poor because that stroked his ego. He loved that aspect of it. But what he didn't love was this return aspect, the boomerang aspect, when it turns back and it becomes all about Jesus. $30,000 poured over Jesus' feet. And Judas is standing there watching this and the most offensive thing about it, I believe, in Judas' mind, is that Jesus uh, seemed to believe he was worth every penny. This was offensive to Judas. Like, you mean to tell me that $30,000 could drill five wells and feed all of these people and support a low-income disabled widow and it's being poured, <coughs> excuse me, over your feet, 30 grand, and you seem to think that you are worth every penny? That was offensive. When we go out, we are sent out into the world and we like that aspect of it. We like the going out and loving people and caring for people and, and blessing people. But when this boomerang effect happens and it comes back to Jesus, all of a sudden our red flag goes up and we say that's offensive, that it has to be about Jesus. And then we pride ourselves in being able to go and to love. And I don't ever tell, I, know, I don't, I don't, Give somebody something and then tell them about Jesus. You know, I just, I'm proud of the fact that I can just do that without even have to, having to say anything about Jesus. You know why you're proud of that? It's because who gets the credit for it? You do. We love that. We love to be able to go and to serve with no other name other than ourselves that are being the ones who are doing it. To serve in our own name. And it... It, it massages our ego. It makes us feel good. We find it offensive when we realize that it is all about Jesus. And that at the very core of serving 
is to bring glory back to Jesus in some way. Now, um, the challenge with generosity is for us is like Judas. We live in a world where we want kickback, right? We want rewards for our investment. Um, if I give something, I should get something. And Jesus addressed this head on. It was the same in their culture as it is today. No different. In Matthew 6.20, Jesus, Jesus said, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where the, neither moth nor rust destroy or thieves break in and steal. You're not going to lose it. For where your heart is. See, we hear that and we're like, that's nice, but really that's just a nice, it's just a little phrase that's carved into the offering plate, right? Or here comes a camp, uh, capital campaign. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Oh, geez, they want my money. All right, there's my heaven donation, right? But is there something more substantial to that? Is there something more real there that we often don't, don't really give credit, credit to? And this, I believe, is the difference between Judas and Mary. We're going to dive into Mary more next week. But Judas didn't get this piece. Judas didn't understand how you can store up for yourselves something uh, that has an eternal reward, an eternal sort of investment. It didn't make sense in Judas's mind because Judas was about the here and now. He was a zealot. He wanted to see the kingdom established now. He wanted to see money in his pocket now. And so he, he didn't understand this. Now Mary, on the other hand, did. See, for Mary, Ju Judas is pretty much a pretty good guy. He's one of those guys that if we said it's confession time, right? He would say, say man, I don't know what to confess. Like, been doing pretty good. Mary, on the other hand, uh, was possibly a prostitute. She was filled with seven demons. She had a debt beyond, a sin debt beyond any of us uh, can, can imagine. Just what, what was, was hanging over her. She probably felt in her culture absolutely 100% worthless. And then here comes Jesus. You see, when Judas betrayed Jesus, he, he took the 30 pieces of silver and he turned Jesus in and he betrayed Jesus. <clears throat> Judas greed put Jesus on the cross. Judas' sin, his desire for more, put literally put Jesus on the cross. And the irony here is that when Jesus died on the cross, the debt that Mary carried was forever done away with. Done away with. The debt that you and I carry, the not financial debt, something much greater than that, the eternal debt of sin was forever done away with on the cross. And so Mary then, who now has experienced forgiveness, Mary knows that 
It was nothing that she did that would cause Jesus to love her. It was solely his grace, his love, that he just chose to love her. Mary then knew that this massive debt had been forgiven. And to whom much is given, much is required. And for Mary then to take a $30,000 bottle of perfume and to just in her love and appreciation and honor to just dump that over the feet of Jesus and just to, just to bless Jesus in that way was simply just the most natural thing she could do. You see, um, when it comes to generosity, and we talk about generosity a lot in the church, and we believe that you should be a generous person. We believe that you should be generous. That you should want to give. But not because um, you're part of some kind of institution that requires dues or because you're paying for some kind of service, whether that's, some, whether that's giving to the church or giving to a nonprofit or giving to somebody on the street corner, whatever that is. We believe you should give because to whom much is given, much is required. And, and for those of you, if you feel like you have no debt, uh, eternal debt at all, and you're sort of like Judas, feeling pretty good about yourself, then forget it. I mean, seriously. Uh, don't worry about being generous. But if you get it, if you understand that you have this eternal debt that has been forever forgiven through the cross out of God's love, then the most natural response for us is to want to be a generous person is to want to break open a $30,000 bottle and pour it over the feet of Jesus. As we, as we wrap up, is there anyone here who would admit that um, when you hear a talk on generosity, you hear a talk on generosity, uh, Giving, giving something as close to you as your money. Isn't it funny? We can talk about giving anything, giving everything. We could talk about giving your time. We could talk about uh, giving your clothes or your, your coats for the poor. We could talk about giving, um, what else do we talk about? Giving your love. But as soon as we talk about giving your money, we're like, no, 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 that's mine. We can't talk about that. Why? Is it greed? Because we can say with every other aspect of our life that, that, man, I don't own that. You can have it. But, man, money, there's something about that. And when you feel, you sense the Spirit nudging you to, to, to give to a need or to a cause, do you run from it? Or are you like Mary? And if possible, if you can find a way to bless Jesus through giving in this way and blessing this person, helping this person in need, whatever that might be, is it the most natural thing for you? Is there anyone uh, here who, um, when, when you do give to the church, are you thinking, 
uh, I'm, I'm paying my dues. I'm giving um, for the services that I receive. This, this phrase, paying my tithes, let's not use that phrase. As if, as if you're paying your, your dues. Does that make sense? When you give, are you looking for either something in return or are you looking to compensate for something that's been given to you? Why do you give? Or are you freely giving because you've been freely given to? Because the work has already been done on the cross. Are you concerned with having more? Or are you pouring your most valuable treasures on the feet of Jesus? Are you Judas? Or are you Mary? Next week we're going to talk more about Mary. And uh, so make sure you come, come back for that. All right? Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for... This, um, these characters that uh, are not, um, uh, not just ideas or uh, stories, but they're lives that were lived. Uh, they were lived literally in the presence of Jesus, and we can learn so much from them. Um, God, I, I pray that if there are any Judases among us, if there are... Uh, Wolves wearing beautiful sheep's clothing. And they're lying to themselves about the fact that, uh, that really their heart is dark and they are not in any way uh, following Jesus. God, I pray that you convict. I pray that you open us up to the gospel. God, create in us a new heart a heart that um, gives of our money, of our time, of our resources, not because we feel pressured to do so, not because we feel um, that we are buying anything. God, I pray that we will be generous people, that we will be people marked by our generosity because we are people who have been freely given to and it has radically reshaped the way that we look at our possessions. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.